I'm Mike, and you're listening to the Monarchist Podcast. Today, we welcome Shane Metlin to the show. Shane covers JMU Athletics for the Daily News Record in Harrisonburg. He's also a co-host of the Fun Belt Podcast. Welcome to the world's best and only ODU Podcast. Thanks for having me. So, Shane, you've been in Harrisonburg covering the Dukes since they announced the move to the belt. What has it been like to watch this transition to FBS? In a lot of ways, it's been what you would expect. I think maybe the start to the season for JMU was better than you might have expected, but we're kind of seeing the issues with depth and things when you move up. We're starting to see that a little bit more. You know, I think five and three at this point is maybe about what people might have expected out of JMU within the JMU fan base, but maybe the route to getting there isn't kind of what they thought it would be. Oh, absolutely. I don't think anyone saw that win over app happening after they got game day and all that excitement surrounding their program. So Kurt Signati was hired in 2019. He's had a lot of success winning two conference titles, making a national championship appearance. What else can you tell us about Kurt, the ball coach? He's, you know, he's a no nonsense type of guy. You can see, you can see the influences of the people he's worked with before becoming a head coach and what he does. There's a little bit of the Nick Saban, kind of mentality there and you know a guy who can be intimidating to some degree but then will flash his personality a little bit that kind of reminds me of like Saban you know he, he'll mention his father of course you know Frank Signetti Sr. as a Hall of Fame coach and working with Johnny Majors when he was really just starting out at Pitt so you, you see those influences with him a guy who you know knows how to run a program but I think is also kind of learned in the ropes of what it takes to run an FCS program. He's never had 85 scholarships. He's never done some of the things that are at this level before. And, you know, there's maybe a little, some things he's figuring out, but he does have a pretty strong background, I think, to, uh, to be the guy making this move for JMU. So given the success of the JMU program over the last decade, since basically Mickey Matthews was fired, what is the JMU fan base support like for Kurt? It's pretty good. I mean, as with anywhere, there's, you know, people here and there that are detractors and people who maybe really liked Mike Houston for whatever reason. And it was hard for Kurt to win them over. But the mo- for the most part, JMU fans feel like they have a good coach. You, you're going to hear you're going to hear complaints about play calling and things at different times. But I feel like for the most part, people are pretty satisfied with the caliber of player he brings in. And overall, the results. I mean, people might have wanted to win a couple more FCS championships than they were able to pull off. But generally speaking, Jamie is pretty pretty happy with the coach they have. All right, moving on to the talent. Obviously, this team goes as Todd Santiago goes. Given the roaring start that led to that big win over App, the ranking, and now the tough three-game stretch they've suffered the last few games, Can you tell us about the type of QB Todd is and whether or not that injury is still a concern? The injury, I think, is definitely still a concern. It looked like it at Louisville. You know, they still say, oh, he's fine. You know, I don't think they want to say too much about it. But he just was not completing the passes he completed through the first six weeks of the season against Louisville. And they didn't even throw the ball very much, 15 pass attempts in that game. So whether or not another week, means you know a significant amount of progress for his injury I, we'll, we won't know that until you know the game's underway on Saturday but when he's fully healthy and at his best 
he's he's real good because he is you know a dual threat quarterback he he makes good decisions they've been kind of installed the rpo type of scheme for him when he arrived he makes good decisions in that you know it was not until the georgia southern loss where he put up a ton of yards throwing the ball but he threw three interceptions that was really the only game where he had a lot of turnovers he'd taken good care of the ball early on if he's playing like he was through the first five weeks of the season jamie should be in pretty good shape on saturday but it's it, it, there's really no way of knowing if that's the Todson Taylor we're going to get on Saturday. Okay. So Jamie running back, Percy, is having a solid year. He's averaging over five yards per carry, has close to 700 yards. I'll take a moment to talk to us about Percy and the rest of the running back room for Monarch fans who will be watching. Yeah. You know, Percy's getting back to where he was, say, Two years ago, he dealt with the injury that kept him out pretty much all of last season. And I say maybe it took him two or three games to really get back to that level this season. But he's been running the ball really hard lately. They've tried to rely on him even more with the quarterback issues the last couple of weeks. And, you know, he's he's a physical back but has some speed. You talk about the overall running back room, his primary backup and guy who rushed for almost 1,000 yards last year his primary backup, Latrell Palmer, is a, a big physical back. And then they have Kalon Black, who they've used a lot on special teams, but have ways to try to work him into the offense. He, he's a little bit more of a, a shifty guy, a guy they like to throw to out of the backfield. So between the three of them, they have a pretty, pretty strong, pretty deep running back room. Um, even, you know, you look at Kalon Black, he had one series, the, the series that they scored a touchdown at Louisville, where, I mean, he was the main guy on that series, and then they didn't really do anything to get him involved later in the game. I wonder if, after going back and looking at the film and stuff, maybe there'll be some more packages just to kind of keep him involved and mix things up a little bit, because he is a good pass catcher out of the backfield. All right. So, uh, the rest of the offense, what can you tell us about the receiving core and this offensive line? and if there's any injury issues on the offensive side of the ball, other than Todd? You know, there are a little bit. It's not clear. Nick Kidwell is starting a right tackle. If he'll be back, he's missed the last couple games. Sounds like maybe he's getting a little bit closer to returning. That would be a big That would be a big thing for JMU if he comes back because they really didn't run to the right very much even against Louisville. They became, you know, very predictable in the fact that they wanted to run the ball and they were going to the left almost every time. If So if he's back, that's big. They lost Reggie Brown midway through the last game, who's probably their number two receiver, I would say, behind Chris Thornton. He, he's had a pretty big year. No real info on whether he's going to be back. He, he jogged off the field to the locker room, so it seems like it must be some sort of upper body thing, but we don't know exactly what's going on with him and if that will affect him trying to catch the ball. Moving on to defense, can you tell us about the formation the defense runs? And maybe a few standout players or you fans should keep their eye out for. Yeah, it's it's sort of interesting. You know, it's, it's a four, two, five, two sometimes what they do with the front. Basically, they have two linebackers pretty much all time. They, you know, <clears throat> bring more defensive backs out there. You know, when you look at the standouts there, probably their best defensive player for the majority of the year has been linebacker Jalen Walker, who also missed the last game. And whether or not he's back, 
on Saturday is another big question mark. But they've been good at linebacker with him and Torres Jones, but there's not as much depth there. So that's a big question mark. On a defensive line, Isaac Ukwu is a solid pass rusher. They got Miguel or Mikhail Kamara back last week after missing almost a month. And then he seemed to be a little bit banged up again at the end of the game. So he has a lot of depth to the defensive line if he's if he's available. Nose guard James Carpenter also has been really big up front for them. You know, probably the weak weak spot right now is in the secondary. They play, you know, true freshman Chauncey Logan at cornerback. Some teams have been able to pick on him a little bit. So that's going to be definitely something to watch is, you know, if ODU is able to kind of exploit that a little bit there. ODU and GMU, they started this royal rivalry thing they announced with Town Bank uh, recently. Have you had a chance to talk to the players about how they feel about this game? Like, they weren't here 10 years ago the last time we played a game, but there are a lot of 757 players on the roster. Do they Are they viewing this as a rivalry yet, or is that just something that's going to have to take time? I think it takes some time, but you, you mentioned it, though. It's the, it's the 757, the Hampton Roads guys who, who like to go home. It even... Even when JMU was still in the CAA, there wasn't much of a rivalry per se with William and Mary, but it was always big for those guys to go play at William and Mary because, you know, it's their family, it's their high school coaches, and they're playing against guys they played against in high school. And I think that's going to be probably one of the bigger things. And they're definitely excited about this game, but probably as much for the fact that it's played in Norfolk than anything. You know, it's not as much. I don't know if other than that, it would be that much different than any Sunbelt game at this point. I think it'll get there just because, you know, the fan bases have like had the dislike for a long time. So, and that'll start to kind of bleed through, but for the players right now, I think it's more location than anything. ODU has made a name for itself on special teams. Last year we were, we led the country in block kicks. This year we're near the top again. I believe we have four now, so I think we're fourth in the country. We have a great punting game behind Ethan Wayne, keeps winning Ray Guy awards. We have Lamarion James, who's capable of running it back if you give him that opportunity. Given the quality of special teams Old Dominion has, what can you tell us about JMU's special teams core and if there's any chance they can stifle Old Dominion on that side of the ball? Well, I think... You know, you mentioned the block kicks. That's the that's probably the big concern for JMU is that they've had a couple games where that's really hurt them. Really, that was the difference in the loss at Georgia Southern was a block punt that it wound up being a touchdown. And then Marshall in that loss, Marshall blocked an extra point and took it all the way back for two points. And that wasn't the difference in the game, but it kind of really changed the momentum early on after JMU had scored to go up by a couple scores. And then the offense didn't do anything the rest of the day. So I think that's going to be a big concern is keeping ODU from getting back there and blocking kicks and making those game-changing type plays. All right. So Vegas opened this spread in JMU's favor at seven and a half. The spread has stayed at seven and a half. It's moved a little bit, but it's still at seven and a half. The total opened at 48 and a half and has moved down to 46 and a half, which is anticipating a fairly low-scoring college football game. What is your take on how this game goes down? Yeah, I mean, those numbers make a lot of sense to me. I Neither offense has been very good recently. And so, I mean, somebody's going to have to score somehow. But I'm not expecting a very high-scoring game unless something changes we don't know about injury-wise for, for either team. 
but yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And the, the eight point spread, I mean, I think it's going to be close like that could go either way. You know, like we mentioned the special teams plays and stuff that can, you know, really change things in a hurry. You know, maybe the, the advantage JMU that Vegas has given them might just be like, they may be a little further along in the injury department right now. It sounds like maybe they're going to get some guys back. Maybe, maybe Todd Santeo's gotten a little bit healthier in the week. That really to me seems like the explanation for JMU being the favorite in this one. So this weekend is the Oyster Bowl. It's JMU's first Oyster Bowl. We host it. It's the last home game of every Old Dominion season. Are JMU fans aware of the Oyster Bowl and the purpose of it? I think so. At least like the, the diehard JMU fans. And, and, you know, there's a lot of JMU fans who grew up in the 757 area, so they, they know about it. I'm not sure. I'm not sure beyond just being aware of it, though, if there's like a lot of talk about it in Harrisonburg right now. But it, it's a cool thing that, you know, it's something that these in-state teams can be a part of. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a huge fundraising thing for the Shriners every year. They put on a fantastic event. On top of that, our podcast is doing our annual Toys for Tots drive, what we always do at the Oyster Bowl. And we've set it up this year differently. Our guy, Harry McBride, he has set up a flyover for the game of two F-18s. He also set up for a tank to be on campus. It'll still be on 49th Street right next to the the silver lot right next to the stadium. We'll have collection points there and in the blue lot. So if JMU fans listen, bring a new unwrapped toy or bring cash. We'll also have ODU ROTC members walking through all the lots with ammo cans where you can make donations. So we'd love for JMU fans to support this and hope it's as big of a success as we expect it to be. Uh, But before we close, if ODU is going to have success in this game, where do you think the Dukes are vulnerable. Well, we talked a little bit about it already, special teams. And it's also just really, if JMU has to get one-dimensional on offense, if they can't throw the ball this week, then I think it's going to be, you know, one of those games where they slug it out and maybe whoever ends up making a play on defense, maybe if there's a defensive score, that's the difference in this one. To me, I would say that's probably the most vulnerable beyond the young secondary occasionally giving up a big play and, in that in that regard too i'll say this i'm not sure how ollie jennings is feeling right now but he's been he has not been 100 percent the last couple weeks but javon harvey has stepped up big time as the second receiver so if those young corners aren't ready maybe we could see some big pass plays this weekend thank you so much for joining us shane before you go where can listeners find your content um you can uh Check out dnronline.com. And, you know, if you're an ODU fan, I would say type slash Sunbelt Extra, and then you'll get JMU, but also a lot of ODU Sunbelt notebooks, stuff that they might find interesting there. So dnronline.com slash Sunbelt Extra. Be aware to check it out. And you are doing the Funbelt podcast still, right? I am. Yeah. Listen there too. Awesome. Thanks for joining us, Shane. We really appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Thank you.